when we found you and, and your podcast, it was like, okay, this is what we should have done the first time. It's like the properties make sense the day you buy them. Welcome to the Creating Wealth Show with Jason Hartman. You're about to learn a new slant on investing, some exciting techniques, and fresh new approaches to the world's most historically proven asset class that will enable you to create more wealth and freedom than you ever thought possible. Jason is a genuine, self-made multimillionaire who's actually been there and done it. He's a successful investor, lender, developer, and entrepreneur who's owned properties in 11 states, had hundreds of of tenants and been involved in thousands of real estate transactions. This program will help you follow in Jason's footsteps on the road to your financial independence day. You really can do it. And now, here's your host, Jason Hartman, with the complete solution for real estate investors. Welcome to episode 1269-1269. Today we are going to be talking with our guest about the little book of Bulletproof Investing. He co-authored a book with Ben Stein. Ben Stein's an interesting guy. Hope you follow him out there in the media once in a while. And um, he's, he's got some interesting stuff to say. But before we do that, I've got a couple of things for you. Number one, and maybe the most important, you know on this show, we delve into the water of making predictions. Yes, it's a risky business to make predictions, a very risky business. I've got a prediction that I just looked up yesterday, and I'm very excited about it, so I thought I'd share it with you. It is the prediction for the peak fall foliage time in New England and Canada for our upcoming cruise at jasonhartman.com slash cruise. <laughs> you can check that out. And it looks like in October, we're going to be hitting it perfectly. I mean, I tell you, if this prediction comes true, it's going to be like a splendor of colors. It's just going to be amazing. So uh, very excited about that. Check that out, jasonhartman.com slash cruise. So there's a prediction for you, right? There is a cottage industry springing up around Airbnb. As you know, there are several spin-offs and cottage industry things, you know, uh, various vendors providing services to people doing long-term rentals and short-term rentals. That's all well and good and pretty normal. As I say, capitalism is so efficient at allocating resources now. It's certainly not perfect, but compared to what? <laughs> it's a lot better than than other systems, that's for sure. So Airbnb will not reveal the addresses of the Airbnb hosts. And so various municipalities who have outlawed Airbnb in their market, New York is one of the examples of this, have subpoenaed Airbnb, saying, release the addresses so we can go hunt these people down and, and find them. We are going to find them for uh, not obeying the law outlawing Airbnb and outlawing short-term rentals, okay? And now, guess what? There is this whole cottage industry of tech companies that are ratting people out. Yes, <laughs> not just tech companies per se, but companies that have human contractors that will pose as guests or renters. They are basically ratting people out. So, uh, yeah, it's awfully risky. You can't hide from the long arm of the law. And uh, I would uh, recommend avoiding uh, practices like that because they'll get you. Now, the question is, 
Is the law just? Well, that is another discussion. No, I don't think it's just. I get the conflict here, you know, of course, the uh, various cities, they just go where the money is, which is in many ways disgusting because the government should not be part of the capitalist infrastructure. It should just allow and foster the existence of the capitalist structure. It should not be participating, right? This is the thing you get in poorly managed places like New York and California and Illinois and other left-leaning places. Now, listen, left-leaning places aren't the only poorly managed places. Don't get me wrong. But by and large, (laughs) they tend to be on the poorer side of, of management and they tend to be hungry for money. And so they go into business against the citizens to uh, fine them, to uh, make new laws that they know everybody will break, that everybody's unaware of, so that they can they can get them. They'll get you if they want to get you. That's just the way the world is nowadays. Sadly, unfortunately, it's that way. So uh, that's interesting, you know. Just know that it's not just a matter of hiding from some unmotivated bureaucrat. These bureaucracies, these municipalities, are hiring these companies to go and provide them with lists of landlords disobeying the short-term rental laws so that they can nail them. And in some of the areas, the fines are significant. So be careful. Remember, Johnny Law will always get you. He'll always get you. So better to be on the right side of the law, okay? Also, we announced our contest, and I've had uh, several questions about that. Keep them coming, keep them coming. But uh, it's going to be an awesome contest. That was on yesterday's episode. And uh, remember, we've got some phenomenal prizes. Show us how you're becoming the empowered investor. I already got a message yesterday from one of our clients talking about how he is becoming empowered. And he said he got bids on a, uh, a repair item for a property, decided he didn't like the quotes he was getting through the property manager that got him a couple of quotes. And he decided to reach out and get his own quote and surprise, 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 as Gomer Pyle would say. I know many of you listening have no idea what I'm talking about, Gomer Pyle. Just look it up and go find a video on YouTube about Gomer Pyle. It was a show and his trademark line was surprise, 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 kind of a Forrest Gumpy type character. It's pretty funny. Anyway, he talked about how he got empowered and he just saved a bunch of money on this repair item for one of his properties. So you can too make a little video, tell us how you are becoming an empowered investor. Could be a big macro plan, could be a couple of little things, little tips and tricks of the trade. It could be simple or complicated. It could be just your five-year plan. Maybe you did the five-year plan contest we had a year and a half ago, or maybe you didn't do it. And maybe you want to update your five-year plan and submit a video. You can do that. If you entered then, you can enter now again. Maybe you didn't participate in that a uh, year and a half ago, and you want to go ahead and um, do a five-year plan now. So get it on video, shorter than 10 minutes, and your first prize, two free tickets to Profits in Paradise coming up in October in Orlando. Also, free membership for one year in the Empowered Investor community. Second prize, two free tickets to Profits in Paradise. And the third prize is one free ticket. And there's a bonus, a big bonus, if 
you achieve, if you're the first prize winner, and you achieve more than a thousand views on our YouTube channel, and of course you can direct traffic there to that video link, and more than 200 on yours, you also get a $3,000 allowance for our upcoming cruise, a $3,000 cruise allowance. So pretty good stuff. Some big prizes for you. So make sure you do that. I know you're probably busy working on some videos, so we'll be telling you about more details as time progresses, and we'll stick the details up on our website at jasonhartman.com, where you can always also find out about the cruise as well. One more thing before we get to our guest, I wanted to share with you a headline, well, really three headlines. I just saw these last night, and it really goes to show how absolutely ridiculous the stock market is and the world of tech startups. I mean, this company's past the startup stage, but it's the company Peloton. You've all heard about this company with those cool exercise bikes and the way they stream content in and you can participate in live classes and blah, blah, blah. So Peloton, right? This company is about to go public, right? You've seen Lyft go public, Uber go public. Everybody's losing money. WeWork's about to go public. It's a joke, if you ask me. No seemingly real path to profitability uh, for WeWork. Massive expenses. The founder is doing all kinds of funny business. Wall Street is the modern version of organized crime. Now, here are three headlines in a row. I pull up the left-wing Business Insider publication last night, and I see these three headlines. They're all in a row. Here's what they say. You judge. I'll comment in a minute. Yeah, I'll just read them to you at first. Peloton, the buzzy exercise bike startup that ignited the connected fitness craze, has filed for an IPO and revealed spiraling losses. Next headline. Peloton CEO once bragged on TV that the company was, quote, weirdly profitable, unquote, but the startup IPO filing reveals, and, you know, goes on to say that it's not, losses, basically, right? And then the next headline is, Peloton is paying its two top executives $21.4 million apiece, even as its losses quadrupled to $245 million in its most recent update. I mean, this is such a scam. It's unbelievable. First off, remember something. Real businesses make money. That's what real businesses do. Now, admittedly, you know, Amazon, as much as I criticize Amazon all the time, they're a real business. Amazon is a real business, quite obviously. And for many years, it didn't make money, but it was actually growing a real business, okay? So, you know, if you want to delay profits to grow the business, that's one thing. But if you're just losing money because you're basically pulling this house of cards tech startup scam of just get big, get big, get big with no clear path to actually having a real profitable business, that's what I call a scam. Of course, this is a nuanced subject that we could talk about for the next three days, but we don't have time. So, I mean, those three headlines are just ridiculous. Peloton is doing an IPO, losing tons of money, and massively overpaying its executives. Its top two execs getting $21.4 million each as the company reports a $245 million loss. So 
Basically, that's $42 million just for the execs, as they're reporting a $245 million loss. This is pathetic. Would you invest in that IPO? I certainly wouldn't. And watch. I'll say that. It'll go way up. And then it'll ultimately crash. Because eventually, gravity, this pesky thing called gravity and common sense, it eventually wins. (laughs) It always does. Eventually. Not always right away. You know, bad people, they usually don't get very far in life. It'll seem like they're winning for a while. But eventually, you know, things catch up with them. So... That's that. Okay, let's get to our guest and let's talk about bulletproof investing. It's my pleasure to welcome Phil DeMuth to the show. He is co-author with Ben Stein of multiple New York Times bestselling books on finance, including The Little Book of Bulletproof Investing, Do's and Don'ts to Protect Your Financial Life, and The Overtaxed Investor that he did on his own, as well as many, many other books. Phil, welcome. How are you doing? Jason, thank you so much for having me. It's great to be here. My pleasure. Uh, Where are you located? I'm in sunny Los Angeles, California. Ah, my hometown. I grew up there. <laughs> Good stuff. Oh, well, it's wonderful. And, yeah. and, and speaking of overtax, that's why I no longer live in the Socialist Republic of California. <laughs> oh, you escaped. I escaped. Oh, lucky you. I escaped as they are currently, and they have been for years, building what I call an economic Berlin Wall around that state to make sure the money doesn't oh. escape. <laughs> No, I know it's it's harder and harder all the time. Yeah. And the hardest, the biggest objection to my leaving comes from my wife who likes it here. Yeah, well. And so happy wife, happy life. It's hard to get over the wall. I understand. I understand completely. Okay. Well, hey, when we look at the overtaxed investor, now you, your focus is mainly on, you know, the stock market and the, and that area. Real estate, as you said before we started, is is its own tax shelter. It's its own universe. Uh, and that's what we mostly address here. But tell us a little bit about how the investor is overtaxed in various investments that you covered. What happened was we had a little family business and it generated lots and lots of work for attorneys and accountants without really ever making any money. So my my tax form was about the size of a phone book and it had to be filed in six states. Every year I would vow, okay, I'm going to really get to the bottom of it this time and see what's happening to all the money. And I never could do it. Mm-hmm. So we sold the family business and suddenly my tax form was about, you know, a few pages long. And I said, wait a minute, look at all the money I'm paying in taxes on my uh, investment portfolio. And by the way, this is my area of expertise. So I thought, holy smokes, I'd better take a hard look at this, go over this with a red pencil and figure out ways to try to pare this back. Because this is all, this, this is just money that's going straight from me to the government. It doesn't, it doesn't need to happen that way. If I would just have been a little bit smarter about organizing my investments, more of the money would have stayed with me where I wanted it to stay. That's the thing. I mean, didn't you know you had that family business so you could pay a bunch of expensive professionals and the government? That's why you were in business, right? It wasn't for you. (laughs) Evidently not. Well, I'm glad I was able to serve other people in our country by overpaying my taxes. But no, it, it was just, it was a constant headache. It was just tearing my hair out and I don't have that much hair to tear out. So it was a, a tough gig. What can be done to minimize the bite of taxes? Of course, I talk all the time about real estate strategies, but when it's outside of real estate, what do you do? 
Well, again, real estate is great. I look across the fence with great envy at real estate investors because the whole avenue of real estate investing is just a giant tax shelter all of its own. But even real estate investors often have other investment accounts. They have savings accounts, they have brokerage accounts, they have retirement accounts. And there's stuff they can do on that side of the aisle. And I know this because I have clients who are real estate investors. I don't help them at all with real estate. That's, that's how they made their money. But then they have money left over and I try to help them out. So there are just smart things they can do. There's been a big movement over the last you know, 10, 20 years to get people in, investing in index funds rather than try to speculate in individual stocks or active money managers. And it turns out that this index fund investing is not only good in terms of your investment returns, but because these index funds are very passively managed, there is very little turnover. They also tend to be extremely tax efficient as well. And I think that's a part of the secret sauce behind what makes them so desirable. So I would say people, if they're involved, if they've got stockbrokers that are churning the accounts, generating commissions, generating capital gains taxes, short-term taxes, let's just pull the plug on that whole enterprise. Go over to Vanguard or go to some discount brokerage and just buy simple broad index funds to target the whole market, you know, this S&P 500 index or a total market index, total international index, just a few funds like this, very low expense, very low tax, and you're covered. It's a great way to go. I think the late, great Jack Bogle made us all realize, and I'm not even a stock guy, okay? But I think he made us all realize that the emperor has no clothes, okay? <laughs> you know, all, all of these all of these fund managers, all of these stock pickers, in the real estate world, the market timers, they just can't outperform. The, it's the random walk down Wall Street. You know, you just can't beat the sort of the efficient market, can you? As far as I'm concerned, there should be a huge statue of Jack Bogle on Wall Street. He's just the patron saint of the ordinary uh, investor and the guy who really held a shield up against uh, all these this high-priced Wall Street talent that was, was basically picking our pockets. So he's my hero. Yeah. You know, the, the magic question to ask when the Wall Street broker shows you his new yacht where are all the clients' yachts? <laughs> <You know? laughs> that's, exactly. That's the thing. Exactly. Yeah. Okay, so generating uh, tax liabilities by trading is something to avoid, right? Would that be the first principle? This is very interesting. Certainly, people tend to overtrade. They tend to way overestimate their abilities to... Everybody thinks they're like James Bond in a casino. They can just go in, make a few slick moves. I can buy mm -hmm. Google. I can buy Bitcoin. I can you know, do this kind of thing. Marijuana stocks. And nowhere... Like and, and you know, the marijuana stocks and the cryptocurrencies. Oh, my God. Talk about speculators. It's like Gamblerville. You know, it's crazy. Right. It's like people think they can just climb in their helicopter like a billionaire and you know live some kind of life that nobody actually leads. So, and certainly if you invest that way, you're going to find you're going to lead a very very different kind of life. So people speculate; they're way overconfident, and so they tend to just trade a lot. And short-term trading that all gets taxed as ordinary income, which is the worst possible case. Again, mm -hmm. the smart move is really buy an index hold it forever. If it goes down, 
then sell it immediately and buy something sort of similar to it so you can harvest a tax loss. That's a great thing to do. But people hate to harvest tax losses. Tax losses they can count against ordinary income or gains on their taxes. They hate to harvest it because they always think, oh my God, if I do that, that means I'm a loser. And I just know, I, I can just tell that if I keep hanging on, it's going to come back. And that's just, it's not a good strategy. Mm-hmm. You're better off harvesting the losses, taking them, applying them to your taxes, and buying something uh, similar so you don't have a wash sale. Now, I don't know, you know, I don't follow the tax laws. It relates to stock investing very well. But that is another thing, at least previously, I really hate about the stock market, among many other things, right? <laughs> uh, among the fact that it's the modern version of organized crime, right? But um, <laughs> is that when you harvest losses, you have to be incredibly strategic about that. At least it used to be. I don't know if it's, this is even still true anymore, but you you can only deduct $3,000 per year against, oh no, the losses against gains are fine, but if you don't have a loss, what's that 3000 a year rule? Just refresh my memory. The 3000 a year is if you have capital losses and you don't have gains to, to set them, them off against, against right. this year, yeah, that's you right. can deduct $3,000. Let me tell you, $3,000 I know $3, sounds yeah. like a lot it's of money. Not, it's it's not all that much yeah. money. Right. So, but at least it's it's a, like a token amount that you can offset against ordinary income. Right. Mostly, what you try to do is you try to you know at, at least at the end of every year you go through all of your holdings and, and stocks, bonds, whatnot, and figure out what you want to sell. You certainly want to sell everything that's a loser. If anything has gains, you want to change into something else. You want to make sure you have offsetting losses. Otherwise, you're just generating returns for. Uncle Sam. Right. It's just you got to be very strategic about that, too. Okay. Any other big ideas in in this side? We want to talk about some other things, too, but anything else you want to say about this? Another thing that people often don't pay attention to is typically they have an IRA, they have a Roth IRA, they have a brokerage account, and they tend to have the same thing, all the same investments in in all the three different types of accounts, even though the three different types of accounts have completely different tax implications. And this, again, is partly the fault of the investment guys because they find it's more convenient to run the accounts, just putting all the same investments in all the accounts and all the same ratios. And so that's convenient for them, but it's not the optimal approach. What you want to do is you want to take things that generate a lot of taxes, you know, dividend stocks in particular or taxable bonds, and you want to park those in your IRA accounts. And you want to put the high growth assets that don't generate a lot of uh, taxes along the way, you know, stocks, you know, index funds or a company like Berkshire Hathaway that doesn't pay a dividend. I think it paid a dime dividend back in 1968 or something, but it's not going to pay a dividend while Buffett's on the watch. And put these growth assets in your taxable account where it's very tax efficient. Mm-hmm. That's a much smarter much smarter way. And again, it doesn't take a lot of work to organize things this way, but Mm -hmm. it will mean you have a much lower tax bill in the long run. I'm kind of curious about something since you mentioned uh, Berkshire Hathaway. You know, Warren Buffett is not exactly a spring chicken anymore. (laughs) And um, uh, would you buy a share of Burke today, given that he can't keep working forever? And um, the price is pretty inflated, <laughs> too. Uh, kind of curious to get your take on that. Thanks. So again, to my friendship with Ben Stein, I've had a chance to meet Warren. I've had dinner with him a couple of times. And uh, so, again, next to Jack Bogle, 
I have a statue in my heart of, of Warren, Warren Buffett. Buffett. Yeah. <laughs> so I think that, you know, take a look at this year. The S&P is up, like, I don't know, roughly 15%. And Berkshire Hathaway, which used to beat the S&P routinely, is up, I don't know, maybe it's up 1%, maybe it's flat, maybe it's down 1% for the year. It's a huge gap. The index funds are killing Berkshire Hathaway. So what are we to think about this? Does this mean that he's lost his mojo? Does this mean that it's it's all over? Well, I think it's really more that it's, it's just a year. Last year that was like this for him was 1999 during the big you know, tech bubble. And Berkshire was killed. Everybody said, oh my gosh, who wants to buy this boring old company? We need to be buying pets.com. And uh, so he turned out to be uh, right. And I think that at this point, Berkshire Hathaway, certainly it's not a cheap stock, but I don't think it's a bad value. I'm I'm, uh, happy to buy it, happy to put clients into it, but it doesn't march in lockstep with the S&P 500, but it often does better in times when the S&P is down. So I think it's a friend in hard times. I like it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, and, you know, it might really indicate that it's not that Warren is doing so terribly. It's that the S&P is in a bubble or (laughs) I don't know. You know, maybe you look at that from the other direction, right? Right. I think that the S&P is probably richly valued and the stocks that Warren Buffett likes, which tend to be more value stocks, are more out of favor right now. So it's just that particular discrepancy. And the way things are today is probably not the way things will always be. At some point, there will be a reversion and the two will meet again and probably Berkshire will do extremely well. He's got got a great team in place, the people that are going to take over after he checks out. I think it's a great company. Yeah. Happy to hold it. Yeah. Okay. What are your thoughts on uh, income property and real estate? I know it's not your thing, but, you know, you said it's fair to chat about it a little bit. So I just thought I'd ask very generally, you know, you have clients who are real estate investors and such. Right. I think it's great. I wish I knew more about it. I wish I had income, more income properties. You know, I invest primarily through public markets. So clients own publicly traded real estate investment trusts, but that's not the pure, I mean, there's some nice features of them, but I think if I were smarter and better poised, I would have spent more time investigating and and investing in real estate income properties. I I think they're fabulous. I'm all for them. And that leads to kind of a component of that, which is the opportunity zone discussion. We just talked about it for maybe 30 seconds before starting today. But as you know, from what I mentioned, I'm not much of a fan. I'm not too impressed with the opportunity zone stuff. Uh, There's a ton of promoters and a ton of hype out there. I say it's largely overrated. Um, But what are your thoughts about Opportunity Zone? First of all, I'm extremely skeptical of the entire premise. The idea that government can somehow say, we can try to intervene in the economy saying, oh, people ought to invest like this instead of investing the way they think they ought to invest. And that's what's going to produce the great social outcome. This is ridiculous. I mean, the government, if they were that smart, we'd already be living in some kind of utopia, <laughs> but they're not that smart. This yeah. is just, it's an opportunity for mischief as far as I can see. And already there are more questions for the IRS about how these things are going to work than before any other piece of legislation in their history. Nobody knows how it's going to come out. Although I have some ideas how it's going to come out and you won't want to hear them because it's not going to be pretty. It's so overcomplicated. And, you know, who knows that those, like you said, those areas are going to really improve that much. You can simply do 1031 tax deferred exchange if you're coming out of another property, right? Um, Right. And and so, you know, if you're a real estate investor, just 
keep doing your thing, right? That's what I'd say. One of my concerns, not to be overly cynical about Wall Street, because mm-hmm. there are our friends, but one of my concerns is they're able to tout these things as being, oh my God, you're going to have these psychedelic tax benefits. All your capital gains, just put them in our fund, and they're going to all just Oh, you're going to hold me for 10 years. They're just all going to go away. It's going to be great. I can see how this is a great asset gathering idea. Mm-hmm. And I can see how it's a great asset lockup idea. Yeah, for got for money, them, in got other words. For 10 years. Right? Yeah, for, yeah, them. for them. Yeah. But then, then there's that little tiny niggling question of, wait a minute. Okay. I see that you're the guy taking my money today, but who's going to be minding the store 10 years from now? Right. And do they even care if the thing makes money for me in the long run or not? I don't know. I see the asset management opportunity here. That's great. But where's the business that's going to be there 10, 15 years from now that's going to have made money? I think I'm better off just doing what I already know how to do, minding my own business, rather than betting that they've got some great business opportunity. It's a great sales opportunity for right. them. Yeah. But I don't know. You have to show me the great business opportunity for me in there. That's yeah. what I've, I haven't quite locked in on yet. That is a great point, and And that's why it's being promoted so heavily by all these promoters. It's a great deal for them. That doesn't mean it's a great deal for the investor, right? Alas, no. That's that's the problem. That's yeah. the problem. Yeah, very interesting. Any final thoughts you want to share? Maybe a question I didn't ask you or whatever. Yes, I'm currently steamed up about something called the Secure Act, which is yes. trying to Thank you for get bringing it through Congress. Yeah. I think this act is a very bad deal because it's going to take anybody who's got a big IRA, an IRA that's, say, as much as a million dollars or more, and it's going to force that IRA the money's got to be pulled out in big chunks by okay. your heirs. Okay, it's so let's 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 tee this up. Let, let, let's tee this up just a little bit, if we could. The Secure Act sure. is um, really being pushed through by the insurance industry lobbyists, right? Right, because they want to make uh, an annuity a feature that's part of every retirement plan. Okay, and this also bothers me. But go, yes, go ahead. Let's contrast the way things are now. So, if you have a big IRA. When you pass right. away and there's, you know, there's a lot of asset money in that IRA, what happens now versus what is the ins- what are the insurance lobbyists trying to push through to change it? Well, the insurance lobbyists, they don't really care that much about the IRA part. They, they just want to sell annuities. They want, want an annuity to be an option with every retirement plan. This is just another piece of it because the bill is sort of a hodgepodge of a bunch of things. So this part of it is just about... Uh, if you have an IRA now, you can leave it to your kids. Your kids can take that money out in small increments over their entire lifetime. And in fact, you, if you want, you can leave it to your grandkids and they can pull it out. You know, if your grandkids are five years old, they can stretch that out over you know, the next 90 years if they want to. It's actually the smartest way of playing it. The act, however, has a different idea. It's going to force anybody that takes it other than your wife, your surviving spouse, is going to have to pull it out in 10 years. And that means all the money is going to be taxed in very high brackets. It's going to totally screw up any college planning that's being done for those families or for those kids. And uh, it also is going to mean that suddenly, you know, you're – 18-year-old kid, you know, he's going to get a $500,000 IRA, and instead of it being in a trust now, it's going to have to all be pulled out, and he's going to say, gee, I've got $500,000. Now, 
what was that uh, McLaren I saw in that movie? That, how, how much do those cost? I mean, so it's just it's a complete nightmare for any kind of family financial planning, college planning, estate planning. So I'm telling everybody, Google, contact your senator, send your senator an email telling them to please keep your hands off of our IRAs. Don't pass the SECURE Act. That's my political mission. That's, yeah. I'm, I'm a political activist these days. So th- that's my thing. So I, I, it's a huge mess. They were going to try to pass this thing with no debate. And it's hugely important. It undoes the last 20 years of financial planning around retirement accounts. And it's just it's shocking that something that's this important can certainly be passed under the radar without anybody knowing about it. Right. And it's all about, you know, the, the thing is all about follow the money, as our Watergate informant <laughs> said, right? Follow the money, exactly. follow the money. So exactly. the money is going to be made by the insurance companies if this happens, if this change happens, right? They'll make a lot of money, and a lot of money will be taken from other people that had IRAs when they leave them to their kids, and the money ends up going to the government instead of the family. So this is what we want to stop. Interesting. All right, give out your website and tell people where they can find you and your books. Oh, thanks. Uh, Just Google Phil DeMuth at Amazon. You'll see a bunch of books. My website is phildemuth.com. And that's, Thanks so much for having me, Jason. Yeah, yes, my, ple- my pleasure, Phil. And I'll just spell your last name. It's D-E-M-U-T-H, right? Perfect. Fantastic. Thank Phil DeMuth, thanks for joining us. Thank you so much for listening. Please be sure to subscribe so that you don't miss any episodes. Be sure to check out the show's specific website and our general website, HartmanMedia.com, for appropriate disclaimers and terms of service. Remember that guest opinions are their own, and if you require specific legal or tax advice or advice in any other specialized area, please consult an appropriate professional, and we also very much appreciate you reviewing the show. Please go to iTunes or Stitcher Radio or whatever platform you're using and write a review for the show. We would very much appreciate that. And be sure to make it official and subscribe so you do not miss any episodes. We look forward to seeing you on the next episode.